Well, thank you everyone for checking out the Greg's Garage Pod with co-host Jason Pridmore, presented by Bike91.com. And I am the Greg of the Greg in Greg's Garage Pod, and Jason Pridmore is joining us. What's up, JP? How's Cali, bro? How are li- how's life? How are it's things? Good. It was broken a week ago, but because uh, of the rain and all that, but it's good now. And um, it's January. It's race season. We're getting ready to kick off Anaheim this weekend, so uh, Supercross is getting started. I've been getting hit up by every fantasy person in the world, so fantasy <laughs> Supercross is happening. I think I could probably be in about 30 leagues, so I'll probably be in two. No, why don't you lose in all 30 leagues? That'd I'm, be awesome. I, was, I, I deserve that because I was absolute shit last year, so I deserve that. But Yeah, but in Supercross fantasy, dude, I'm absolute trash. Just absolute I, garbage. I, so. I can't say anything bad about you in, in any fantasies after your recent form. You've been pretty solid, so... But, uh, but well, Jason, been, happy yeah. New Year to you officially yeah, here on the too. on the podcast. Yep. And you know, at this week's podcast, we mentioned it's it's, it's sponsored by Bike911.com. And of course, if you need some attorney help, if you maybe you're in a motorcycle accident or you have some contracts due or something, go to Bike911.com. There's a link in the description of this podcast. Go get a hold of our guy Alex Asante, who will take care of you. But with that said, Jason, this week's podcast is dedicated to a great friend of ours who we lost, a man who is was omnipresent in the paddock for years that we were racing and and started our careers and middle of our careers. Earl Hayden passed away December 29th with a, after a long battle with cancer. Uh, we've already expressed our condolences directly to the family, JP, but we just want to, I wanted to dedicate this podcast to Earl. You want to uh, start off with maybe an Earl story that sticks out in your mind? Well, I think if you ever got a chance to be around Earl and he told you a story, that was already a special thing because he was larger than life guy. And the thing about Earl that was amazing to me is what family meant to him. His family was always at the forefront of everything. And I remember when when Nikki and Tommy and Raj were really young, Earl's approach to people was different than a lot of other dads that come around through the paddock. Um, the way he, he was so real... Um, there's just so many things that you can talk about, but there was a side of Earl that that nobody really got to know. The funny side of Earl and the stories that he would tell, and you know, from horses to to the kids <laughs> to, to dirt tracking back in the day, um, that if you got to be a part of any of those stories, just to listen to them was a pretty special thing. And every time I saw him, every chance I got, I would go over and say hi to Earl. And uh, you know, we lost somebody really big and really special and influential. Um, and I, and I think that, you know, if you look at the way he raised all of his kids and you look at how tight the family is, um, uh, it says a lot about who he was and who he is. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's going to be a big empty spot in our paddock, even though Earl wasn't coming to the races a lot, just knowing that he's not going to be around at all anymore is pretty hard to take. Yeah, it definitely is. One of my favorite stories I think that I heard from Earl is when we were talking about raising a racing family, he was like, you remember the little hobby horse thing that had four springs on it on each corner (laughs) and he would put pillows underneath that thing and he would take one of the springs off and he would put the kids on and if they fell off they'd fill onto pillows down below and then when they got good at balancing on three springs he would take a second so they only had one spring in the say the the upper right hand (laughs) corner and one spring in the lower left hand corner and he would teach them balance from the time they were itty bitty kids because it was all about racing but the, the funniest thing that people don't realize i think is that as great as Earl was at telling stories and a great dad and all that kind of stuff, if you really look at it, I think the majority of the competition that the the kids have 
uh, all five of them come from Rose because Rose was gnarly. And to listen to Earl talk about Rose, Rose's story. So Earl tells the story of Rose. She she raced a powder puff series for three years, right. dirt track, never right. lost a race. Last race of her career, the girl who was her rival was beating her, and Rose just T-boned her and cleaned them both out. Her. So she yeah. And to hear Earl tell the story, you know, in the raspy voice, in the, the passion of it all, and all that stuff was was one of my favorite stories to hear. But yeah. quickest way to I don't get, get off in the quick, weeds. We're, quick, yeah, quickest we're, way to get back on your feet, G Dub. That's right. Miss a payment. Six, Second chance auto sales. Second That's chance right. auto sales. Yeah. Now so, third yeah. and then a third chance. But we're going to yeah. miss Earl. We love him dearly. So this podcast is dedicated to him. But in this podcast, of course, we're going to start off with some Arai news and then buckle up, people. Because we're going to talk about Supercross Fantasy, but we got a dead ringer that's coming on the podcast in Jason <laughs> Wygant in just a moment. So hang tight while we go through this stuff. Because if you listen to Wygant's advice on Supercross, he's going to win you a championship this year in Fantasy. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. But anyway, <laughs> before we get to all that, because Jason is waiting on the line, let's go ahead and get to some news presented by Arai. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Don't have a lot of news in this one, Jason, but yeah. we got enough news to talk about. So let's let's start off with some Danilo Petrucci, or Petrucks in the news. The now, the now ex-MotoGP racer turned Dakar rider is in the press. Well, he said in the press, Jason, that he is headed to Moto America in 2022. <gasps> what a big secret. The question is, what team? Now, Road Racing World posted something and said that, you know, the rumor is, of course, it's the... Uh, what is the name of the team? Warhorse, Warhorse. HSBK Racing, Ducati. <laughs> it's been New York. that long. It's been that long. E- yes, it has been that yeah. long. But Petrucci's coming. But what do you think? Now that at least Petrucci has said, "I am coming to Moto America in 2022," no matter what the team is. What are your thoughts? It's great. I mean, we've known it for a long time, and he's kind of been waiting to get rid of the the or get get through the Dakar Rally. And I guess yesterday he was running in the top five in it, or was it yesterday, Greg? And he had a mechanical problem, but then there was yeah, yeah. there was something that allows him to kind of get back in. Uh, so he's still over there riding, but you know it said that he's he's excited about getting to another continent, coming and seeing America. I think that you're going to get a lot of that same feel that we saw from Loris last year, a lot of enthusiasm to get to America and check it out. Um, yeah, I think it's great. I it, he seems like a tremendous guy. I don't know him obviously at all, but from all accounts, you read about things that people say about him and. And you saw how the final round was for him at, at MotoGP. Very well liked individual, so I, you know he'll be welcome to our paddock, of course. Yeah, I'm looking forward to meeting yeah. Petrucci. Another news item: Jason Crash.net is reporting that Honda is going after Juan Mir, the 2020 World Champ, rode a lackluster Suzuki to third in the World Championship in his title defense. Now, what do you think about Mir at HRC? Well, you know, I, I think everybody that's gone there lately has had a struggle. Anybody that has gone to that bike has had uh, to deal with a bike that has been set up for one individual, and really only one individual has proven to ride it. We've seen Crutchlow, Nakagami, um, even Alex Marquez put in some good rides on that bike, but for the majority, it's been set up for Marquez. And is this a sign now that maybe Marquez isn't as good as he would like to be? Is is his health becoming a big enough issue where Honda is looking at replacing him or are they already looking at replacing Paul Espargaro? So that is the question for me. I don't really know. It doesn't surprise me that they'd go after Mir. I think Mir is, I don't know how you call a world champion under uh, underrated, but I think he's vastly underrated. You know, he's doing it with a two-bike program with Suzuki. 
Um, they're not getting as much data. Gintali, as you've said before, has done a great job to help that team get along. But I don't think it shocks anybody that they'd be going after Juan Mir. Carlos Bernat from GP1.com thinks that the deal is going to be done in a few months. And that's the thing that concerns me the most is if, if Mir kind of reacts to the one winter test, which we've seen everybody saying that the, the Honda is a clean sheet bike now and that it's much more rideable. It's not as hard braking heavy. And that's the concern. Mir has, has got that flowing riding style and he's got the Suzuki working. So it's how long do you give him time to adapt to what the Honda has? You know, it's almost like we're, we're developing two riders in the MotoGP paddock now, right? It's like, do you have someone that can go fast into a corner, high corner speeds and yep. deal with early drives because their motor's underrated or stop and goes like the Hondas, like the Ducati? You know, I think you could even kind of say the Aprilia is a little bit like that as well. So it's it's going to be interesting to see if that actually happens. It'll be a heartbreaker for Suzuki. But, Jay, you and I have talked offline. I think Suzuki's really fundamental issue right now is they need to figure out how, if, if it's even possible to get at least two more bikes on the grid to get more data. They need four bikes on the grid. Well, they're fighting an uphill battle right now. You know, now you got eight Ducatis on the grid. And, and if Honda is truly, in fact, making a user-friendly motorcycle, a more user-friendly bike, I think that when you look at what Ducati has done and you see how many riders are going fast on the Ducati, they have a bike right now. They have a weapon that people can come and get on and adapt to immediately. There's not a lot of uh, one-way riding. So I think that when you look at Paul Spargro and some of the guys that have jumped on the Honda, they've all come back and said the same thing, how physically demanding the bike was. I mean, Lorenzo said it too. Uh, I think when you come from the Yamaha like Lorenzo had, and then he went to a Ducati that was at the time when he rode it not very easy to ride. Then he went to the Honda that seemed impossible for him to adjust to. Um, I think it's a very hard way to go. So the Suzuki being as user-friendly as it is, the Suzuki has its strong points, obviously. It's there every weekend. There's consistency between him and Renz. Um, but on the flip side of it, uh, they need that extra little bit of development that another couple riders getting data from would probably help them. So, um, it doesn't surprise me though. I think Juan Mir is vastly underrated, like I said. Uh, and if he, if Honda doesn't go after him, somebody else probably will. All right. So that's your news presented by Arai, which means Jason, now you have the next introduction. Well, this is great for us because, you know, having Jason Wygant, um, on, on our show, uh, it's huge because obviously we all know who Jason is from watching you know motocross, supercross, uh, watching the telecasts and seeing him. I listen to him all the time on Pulp, which is great uh, with Steve Mathis and um, you know working with Racer Online. Uh, he's play by play for for all that stuff. Um, Jason, it is great to have you on board with us today. Uh, it, for me, it's kind of a highlight because I had known who you were for so long, and then when you got to our paddock. I couldn't believe it when Greg said, hey, I think Wigan's going to be in our paddock. I think it was at VIR. Am I right? That's right. Is it VIR? Good VIR? trivia. Yeah. yeah. And, and I remember, I didn't, get a chance to, I didn't get a chance to meet you, but I was walking through the paddock, and I heard you talking. And I was thinking, I know that voice, and I knew you were coming. but I, It's Greg White's voice. Yeah, I knew, I, yeah, yeah, it is an inside joke. Uh, but the funny part was, I couldn't believe how well you threw yourself into our series, and it was awesome having you. Um, but I, I, I was, it was great to finally get to meet you. But when you did VIR, what was it like for you coming and joining us and being on the road race side of things before we get into the Supercross stuff? Uh, well, I'm hoping it's never going to be that hard again. I hope to be back with you guys at some races in 2022 at Moto America. But 
Yeah, I completely lied when I said I had been following the series closely. You know, they called and they said, hey, can you do round two? I had been at round one in Atlanta only because of Greg, who invited me to do the two-up ride with uh, Ulrich. But otherwise, yeah, I had not followed the series that closely. I lied and said that I did. And they said, can you come to VIR in two weeks? So I basically had two weeks to study. I still have to give a shout out. I tell these guys at Cycle News this every time I see them. Thankfully, Cycle News still exists. If you want to learn any type of racing series or motorcycle at a glance, they're still the best source for that. I basically read every report from Moto America the previous two years. Then I went back to watch all the races. And by the time I showed up there, it was still kind of like a fake it till you make it. Um, but everybody seemed pretty happy. I guess I sounded enough like Greg for them to think uh, that I was convincing. Because everybody just kept saying it sounds like Greg White up there. So, Greg, you sound yeah, like a guy well, who only then, knew those So you started to get a lot of hate. That's probably. what that means. You a lot of hate, probably. Yeah, <laughs> apparently uh, you could look at it that way. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot yeah. Exactly. Sense. I don't know if it was a compliment. They just—it was just facts. They just said you sound like Greg. I don't know if that was good. I don't know. Yeah. Well, you would have got a lot of hate if that's the case. Probably, Wygant. So okay. You know. You know what's funny is—is is when I loved it when they just put a mic in your hand and made you go walk around at lunch or whatever it was when we do kind of like the, you know, where you just kind of walk through the paddock and interview people. And I was thinking, I, I don't, I know I couldn't have done that. Like, like for you to just walk in and just be up, that's a hard job to be able to talk for that long, especially in a series that isn't like your own. Like, I, you know, you could do it in motocross, supercross in a heartbeat, but uh, yeah, I had to be a sure. little intimidating. Uh, yeah, I think I had a, a little intimidating. 45 minutes or a half hour, whatever it was, where that was in the <laughs> program there. We have intermission, you do a grid walk, walk around the pits and talk to people for 40 minutes straight or whatever it would be. And I'm like, I only met these people this morning. I don't really have a lot of faces that know me and vice versa so i was grabbing people and i couldn't that was really the whole day was like okay but this is still coming i haven't done anything until i do this that was the real pressure point and uh i think it went well except for one little name slash nickname exchange correct greg our our mechanic hmm. over there what? at the cowie what? team who only goes by dj not dale Ah, oh, DJ. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Yeah, he dude. pulled DJ. I remember that. I remember that. Yes. Yeah. I, I yeah. rolled that dude. I rolled that joke for probably three straight races. That's yeah, great. Yeah. Uh, that's awesome. Yeah, that was, was that awesome. Was really good. It's an old trick I learned. You guys know uh, Cell Barrage from KTM? Cell Barrage, mm -hmm. who I has do. been at KTM since like before KTM. The dude's been around there like 40 years. That's his old trick. He reads your credential. So then when he talks to you, he talks to you on a first name basis. It makes everyone that talks to the guy or interviews the guy feel that much more at ease so the first time i ever interviewed him which is like 2004 he's like well thanks for having me on the show and he grabs my credential and reads my name and i'm like what a slick move so during that grid walk i did the same thing and the guy's <laughs> credential says his name is dale and i'm like hey thanks for the time dale and then greg calls me on monday and he's like everyone calls him dj no one's ever heard that his name is dale now you just outed him i didn't even know that i didn't even know that there you go. Yeah. So besides awesome. that hiccup, it went that's pretty awesome. smooth. It was, it was, but Jay, along that line of questioning that Jason has, what were some of the outstanding differences you found, you know, between the Moto America paddock and the motocross slash supercross paddock of which you you constantly live in? Were there some differences in just kind of the feel or what? Yeah, uh, we. I was on your show last year. We talked about this a little bit. I was surprised how open everyone was and especially from the technical side. Now, I guess a lot of it might just obviously be personality-based. The people are just more open. They're just less secretive. But I also think what I've learned is we know that I think the bike and the bike setup 
makes a much bigger difference on the road racing side than in the motocross side, right? So I think they know when a reporter comes up and wants to ask them something, you probably are going to want to know about the bike. So I'm sure they're not really giving me all of it. Maybe they're only giving surface details, but they're giving something. And the other thing that really struck me was because the surface doesn't change year to year, right? You folks are really able to compare the exact lap time from the previous year to this year. So when they talk about the bike changes, they really know. It's not a guess. It's not a feel. So I was surprised all this information was coming at me. They A, a they were willing to tell me and B, how specific they could be. But I guess that's kind of the nature of it. Uh, Pridmore, you guys don't just guess. Like You really kind of know exactly what's happening out there. Yeah, no, there's no question, and you're right. I mean, our surface, you, you guys, your tracks change every week, every weekend, you know, when it comes to Supercross. So you don't really have anything to compare it to from uh, the year before. But with our stuff, yeah, you can definitely look at, you know, if a track's been resurfaced or something, then some things change a little bit maybe. But for the most part, you've always got data to go back and look at from 20 years, 10 years, 5 years ago that you can look at and see things. Um, so in a lot of our tracks configurations stay the same every now and then you go to tracks that they're changing or making safer or making better but um but yeah it's it's just it's it's a little bit more constant i think with our series too i think with with supercross when you walk in that paddock um the teams there there's there's a lot of money in that paddock it seems and so i think people a little bit more secretive or especially if they're finding things setup wise i've always found motocross setups to be very very interesting when it comes to bike specific and and knowing what those guys do to those bikes, I mean, um, even listen to even listen to the Pulp Show and and listen to you guys talk about bike setups and what guys are changing and things. Um, for somebody like me, I, it it I know it's out there that you can change as many things as you can on a road race bike. You can do the same, but once you're in kind of a window, that's where a lot of people will stay. Well, the other thing too that's always been interesting to me is something simple in, in, a, in a motocross supercross bike that's like your gearing changes right like so if you're if you're on a road race bike basically what you do is you go to the longest straightaway that you have and then you go okay we're gonna start with i'm gonna get three to four hundred maybe 500 rpm away from the fastest i can go on the straightaway and then basically you work backwards from that like all right how do i make this work I don't even know how you you choose gearing in motocross, supercross sometimes, because we have a very simple formula that, that every novice can show up and say, all right, if your bike's bouncing off the rev limiter on the fastest straightaway, you got to add a long, you got to add, take, take, a, take tooth a tooth away. off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Take a tooth, take two off. And then you work backwards from there. So it seems, it seems in a way, because you guys in that series, every lap, it changes, right? I mean, like legit, every lap, the track is different. Every lap is different for us. It's just like, Rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. Oh, oh, I found a new line, you know, and, and I can do something different. But so it's just, it's, I think it's just, yeah, I get it. It's two wheels. It's a motor. It's all that stuff, but two completely different worlds. Yeah. yeah you guys really nailed it. I do think that the overall secrecy is just, as Pridmore said, it is somewhat just how big it is and how, I guess with more of a microscope, you just tend to get more secretive, which is unfortunate. Uh, but also, yeah, we all know that, when a rider says he's struggling, say, for a front-end feel on the road race bike, that's probably legit. That's probably really what it is. On the motocross, supercross yeah. side, maybe that's what it is. Maybe he's just struggling that day. Or maybe the track and the surface isn't what he expected. I, I just feel like you're never quite as pinpoint accurate on your bike setup stuff. And a lot of times people don't want to hear it. I think we know on the road racing side, if your bike is off, you're screwed. There's only so much you can do to ride around that. And I think on the motocross side, they're like, 
yeah, but you should be able to overcome a lot of that. I, I think it's getting uh, more parity and the window's getting closer to where you have to be that much closer on setup and supercross, but I don't think it'll ever be to the point where it's as make or break. So in the end, they don't talk about it as much. I don't think they think about it as much. Yeah. Now, Jason, let me ask you this question. Uh, coming from both sides now, from the road race side and the motocross supercross side, with supercross on the horizon this week, there are tons of road race fans that don't watch supercross. Just say, yeah. So can you give us the elevator pitch as to why people should tune in and watch Supercross? Yeah, especially at the beginning of the year. This is where you want to tune in. Like all racing, things do have a tendency to boil down to a few contenders midway through the season. And certainly that can be exciting in itself. Formula One is often quite procedural, but this year you had this great championship battle that was really fun. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes it doesn't. But the beginning of any racing series is totally wide open, right? So that's the first cool thing, that we'll go into the opener this week in Anaheim truly feeling like there's 10 guys that could win and none of them would shock you. That's probably not real, but that's the way it at least feels, so that's awesome and exciting. And second of all, the good thing about Supercross, I always say it's so darn simple. There's a bunch of heat races and qualifying and stuff like that, but in the end, it's a 20-minute main event at the end of the night. That's such a bite-sized portion, and there's we don't have pit stops. There's really no strategy to it. They drop the gate, they throw a checkered flag, whoever goes fastest wins. If you've never watched it before, it's so incredibly easy to understand. And I feel like you can kind of watch, even if you've never watched it before, anybody can watch and kind of get an idea, oh, that guy looks good through that section. Oh, that guy looks like he's struggling there. I feel like on the road race side, so I ended up watching it a lot last year, obviously, but I'm not picking up on stuff at all. And you guys are, I'm watching your broadcast. So I feel like for a novice viewer, you can kind of get a sense of, oh, yeah, I could tell that guy was slow through the whoops. You can feel like an expert very quickly because the stuff is just so dynamic. Well, the thing I love about it more than anything is the physicality of it all. And, and like you said, the mental side of it from a writer's perspective of these guys are lining up. Is it 18 races this year? How many races they got, James? 17 in 18 weekends. 18 weekends. 17 and, and 18. That's in 18 weekends. So... The mental that it takes to be able to line up and to be able to stay away from injury as well. I mean, you got to remember that these guys, when they get done on Saturday night, they're flying Sunday and they're back on a motocross track or doing whatever Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. It's the risk is so high that to win a championship like the Supercross Championship, it takes so much more than just being fast. It takes consistency. Um, it takes the mental capacity to realize that you might get sick in these 17 or 18 weeks on the road. You might catch a cold. You might get a flu. How are you going to persevere through it? I think that's what makes the Supercross Championship, for me, even better. Now, this year, we've got some big changes. Um, and I'm just curious, obviously, to get your take on how you kind of see things playing out. Now, I saw one of your tweets the other day, and you said that there were five people that you thought could win. And I didn't actually get to go in and look at the article. But I would got to think that the first three guys are the guys that have been there the last couple years. The to you know Tomac, Webb. Uh, Roxon, those got to be your three. But like you said, there's literally seven or eight that I had written down that it could possibly win. So I'm key. I'm really interested to know who your other two guys are that maybe get, that are on that list. Well, here's what I've actually was pointing out. Um, every year, as I say, we go in thinking ten guys could win, and then I actually look, and you get five every year. Some years it's four, some years it's six. Yeah. Most of the time it's five. The average is five. So that was shocking to actually see, oh, this is how it's going to turn out. 
Well, that can't possibly be. There's way more than five guys that are going to win. That can't possibly be. But the numbers show there will probably be five winners. So you're right. You've got to assume, barring disaster or injury, that Tomac, Webb, and Roxon are probably going to be amongst those. So wait a minute. Out of all these other guys that can win, only two of them are actually going to do it? Who are those yeah. two going to be? So to me, that's one of the most intriguing things. It's easy to assume all 10 good guys are going to win. But in reality, that hasn't ever happened ever. So really, we're down to two, wow. at best, three other slots. That is crazy. So to yeah. elaborate on that, there's two groups. There's the groups of guys who have done it before. Veterans like Justin Barsha, who's won the opener three years in a row. Marvin Muskan's won a bunch of races. Jason Anderson has won this title before. You've got that established group, been there, done that. If they did it again, it wouldn't be a huge shock. But there's always more hope for the prospects, right? The the draft picks. And that's Dylan Ferrandis and Chase Sexton, Adam Cincerulo, Aaron Plessinger, Malcolm Stewart. Those are the guys that people are wondering, oh, will they break through? So if there's only going to be two or three other winners, will it be from that old guard that's done it before sporadically? Or this new group who hasn't won yet, but you feel like it's inevitable? So that's the real question. I saw that Cincerillo's already hurt, and he's a bit of an anomaly to me because he's like He's kind of our favorite, like mine anyways. I love watching him. I think he's a great speaker. I think he represents everything and about the sport really well. Seems like a really cool, fun kid. Um, I see he's already been injured, uh, shoulder injury a couple weeks ago. I saw on his Instagram. And it's it's got to be tough for him to... You get these guys, don't you, kind of in Supercross that never really quite fulfill their full promise. Like there's some, been some guys in the past that are amazing, but they just can't put all that run of weeks together without getting injured. And AC kind of falls in that category. A guy that you'd expect to probably win a race and then and then miss three or four or five of them. That's totally it. That's why this only five guys win thing seems impossible because when you see how talented and how good Cincerlo is, Dylan Ferrandis in the motocross series last year, he beat everyone, including Tomac, Webb, and Roxon straight up. So it would seem impossible that he's not going to win even one Supercross race and Chase Sexton, who's Roxon's young teammate on Honda, his riding style is so perfect, so technically proficient. It seems impossible that those three guys would not even win a single race. But you're so right, Pridmore. There, there have been tons of talented prospects just like that before who ended up yep. maybe winning one race or not winning any. So that's how hard Supercross is. You mentioned that mental thing. I've got to think part of it is it's such a difficult recipe. That when you get it, which is what Webb, Tomac, and Roxon have done, once you get it, oh, it's so hard to unseat it. It's so hard. All these variables, once you get that recipe figured out, it is so hard to beat those guys. So Sexton, one of the young guys, told me, he's like, man, the last, I know I'm fast enough. I know I'm in shape. But the last five minutes of the race, like Webb is behind me. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. They just have this experience, this knowledge, whatever this is, I guess like a quarterback in the fourth quarter where you just know, oh, if the ball gets in Aaron Rodgers' hands, he's going to beat you. It's kind of like that. Well, I think that well, the mental – yeah. You, Aaron Rodgers. Sorry. You meant to say Tom Brady. Take, take, take Tom the Brady. hat off, G-Dub. Take the hat off. You know, I'll tell you the one thing that just blows me away is that, you know, when you watch Cooper Webb in Supercross – um, and even at the end of the year, when you guys were talking about him on the outdoor series and how he was, 
he was coming through at, towards the end of the year in, in the outdoor as well. Like he started running for the podiums a lot more. Um, this year he left the Baker factory, right? I know that's been a talking point for you guys. I think he's with Michael Byrne. And, and, but the one thing you can never take away from, he's going to know, he's going to know that from the physical side how to do everything already, I think. The mental side of it, the guy's so tough that there'll be times when he's in Supercross, he's back in seventh. And you're like, oh man, he's guy's yeah, got so much time to make up. But he plots along, runs consistent times, um, and it just seems like he's got those guys covered. And I, for a while, thought that Tomac was the guy in the sense that from the mental side of it. But Webb's even got—I think he's got everybody just totally handled from the mental side of things, and he knows how to win. It's hard for me to not think that he can't come out and do it again, even though he's not on the doesn't have the Baker factory kind of doing his his training and things like that anymore. The mental side of it, the kid's so strong. I think that's what allows him to move on to something else and maybe be a little happier. He might he might dominate more. Yeah, uh, with Webb, it was always if he got confidence in himself, he's such a salty guy. Most of these riders, even though we say how difficult this is mentally, they don't really exude that. When you talk to most of these riders, they don't come across as cocky. I think it's just like a racing in and of itself. A, you're only as good as your last race. B, there's some risk involved. So I think everybody probably carries a little bit of nerves in general. Webb is maybe the only guy who has that extra jolt of confidence, so he believes it. But now I think it's got to the point where everybody else knows it too. So even when he's yeah. in third and they got a big lead, they're still probably thinking about him. So that's a big problem. So I agree. I think at this point, it's his to win or lose. If he actually left the trainer, Alden Baker, because he just doesn't want to work that hard anymore – and there's some own cracks in his own foundation that he's creating himself, that's one thing. But if he's good to go, if he's 100%, he's still committed, it's hard to imagine someone just taking it from him uh, at this point. So if he doesn't give them any any room, I don't think anyone's going to be able to do anything about it. Yeah. I, I personally don't think, and I think everybody, I, I, sorry, I speak for, for Greg too, we'd love to see Roxon win it just because of the things he's been through. I think he's kind of the guy that like, Everybody wishes Roxon could win the championship from what he's come back from, the mental fortitude from the injuries and stuff. But man, Webb just had his number last year. It didn't matter where it was or or how many laps were left. He just had this feeling that that was going to happen. Now, Tomac moves on to Yamaha, and I'm super curious to know what your feels are on this. Um, it basically seemed like he just wanted to change. I, you know, I don't really know what the motivation was there, other than he wanted to change. And uh, I've got some friends that have told me that at the practice track, which you always hear these stories right now in the end of the season, how fast all these guys are going at the practice track. But Tomac seems pretty happy and content so far. Um, I'm, I'm interested to know what you've heard or 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 maybe talked to Eli himself about about this new ride. Yeah, you'll really like this. I'll give you some insight, and you guys can probably really chew on this. Uh, there's this age-old thing in racing, right, where the, the, the factory teams especially, they have all this data. They know the engineers who built the bike. Every idea you want to try has probably already been tried. So the basic thing that fans would think is the top riders, whatever they want, the teams give them. That is true to a degree, but there are times, I believe, when teams are like, no, you don't understand. That's already been tried. It will not work do this. We already know how this, if you try to do that with the bike, it's going to ruin something else, et cetera, et cetera. So Kawasaki, who to me is really has the most established run. It's been 30 years of them being one of the best teams. They almost never have bad years. I feel like they have a really 
honed, refined process to how they do things. Uh, Tomek was really good with them for a long time. He kind of plateaued. He wasn't as good the last year that he was the years before that. So I think he was like, okay, I got to try something different. Let, let's think outside the box here. And it either didn't work or they didn't want him to do it. So he is taking this risk of, I'm going to switch to a team that is just going to let me try anything and everything. And I think he admits that it is a risk where maybe he's wrong. Maybe the ideas and the philosophies he has aren't right. Maybe the Kawasaki way was the right way the whole time. But he just wants to scratch that itch. He just wants to try it. He believes that this will be better. But Pridmore, you probably have stories like that. The, it's always the rider and team together, but also somewhat against each other in their philosophies. So I think that's what's at play here. Do wow. the Tomax, and that includes Eli and his dad, John, who's a, a legend in mountain bike racing. Do they know something they want to try, and they just needed to find a team that would let them do it? I'm, I'm sure you've experienced that yourself in, in your racing years. Well, that Greg, the first thing that reminds me of is Rossi when he was with Honda. You know, the, one of the biggest reasons why Rossi left Honda you know, they had this incredible run. The guy couldn't lose. He was winning everything. But Honda was taking a lot of the credit for it in Rossi's eyes. He looked at it like they're taking the credit for me winning. And, and that's why he jumped ship and went to Yamaha. And, you know, arguably when he went out and won the first Grand Prix the following year on a Yamaha, it was probably one. It is maybe the biggest story as far as Rossi goes to show that it wasn't just the bike. And, I think that the inconsistencies that Eli has had in the last two years, I mean, arguably on any given day, race day, whether it be outdoor or supercross, the guy is the fastest guy out there every time. But you just scratch your head sometimes. You go, why is he running eighth? Why is he running in eighth place and not going forward at all? And then the following weekend, he's winning by 10 seconds. Um, so there's definitely that inconsistency there. And it'll be interesting to see if he finds that, you know, if he finds that on the Yamaha. I look at his teammate in Ferrandis, and I got to think that, you know, when you look at that five that you talked about, you got to you got to put Ferrandis kind of on the top of that list of another guy that can win. He was so impressive in outdoor stuff, and he seems like such a hard worker. He reminds me a little bit of Cooper Webb in the mental side of it too. Doesn't really care what other people think. Isn't really there to make friends. Needs to get on and do what he needs to do to win. And I think that's going to push Eli even more. Yeah, I agree. And they do ride together, uh, not a ton. Tomac's based in Colorado. He's kind of old school where he rides by himself, which the new trend is teammates or training partners riding together. But they have ridden together some. And I even heard this is one time. So Tomac could have beaten him 30 times that I don't know about. But I did hear like two weeks ago they raced a moto together. And Tomac led most of it. And Ferrandis actually passed him and beat him. So it's possible. But I also will temper all that. You mentioned that flying at the test track term that we all smiled when we heard that. There have been years where one teammate has beaten the other teammate at the practice track every single day for four months, three days a week, and then never beats him even one time at the actual races. So you can only take so much from that. You're right, though. Ferrandis is just a warrior. He's just a competitor. What was your tweet, Jason? What was that tweet last week that you did about that, though? That was so funny. What happened? Wygant tweeted something last week that about that it was so funny, and I actually commented. Yeah, on Yeah, yeah. Um, Do you remember what it was? Yeah, the uh, occasionally we'll throw out fans love that you're hearing like, someone's flying at the test track, so we'll throw that out. I think we'd been hearing a lot about Jason Anderson on Kawasaki, uh, and then one of the old team managers, not with the team anymore, but he's like, I've heard this stuff a million times, and I'm like, Oh yeah, I'm not saying it means anything. 
I'm just saying <laughs> this is what's going on right now. You can come to your own conclusion. I'm not saying it means anything, but this is what's happening on the stopwatch today. Yeah, like Jace Pridmore, it was like uh, he tweeted something out like Jason Anderson is like winning the, you know, I practice track trophy or some, some yeah, or flying at the test track club or something. It was really funny because, it, yeah, flying that's what at the it was. test track club. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, but that's that's again that's a Cooper Webb thing, right? Because I hear all the time that guys are going faster than him at the test track. I mean, I hear all yeah, the but, time. But Pridmore, the difference is right. Like the the difference is when we hear that Jake Gagne is flying. Yeah. at the test, yeah. we know it directly relates to the to the race that we go to, and yeah. and you know where in in this particular case, especially with that winter break or the the break that they finally get after motocross, that it doesn't always pay off. And I mean, why can't you know? I would say probably at least half the time it doesn't pay off. Where people are like, "Ah, oh, this guy's whipping this dude's butt," and that's where like our stuff's a little bit more predictable. I think I agree from that perspective. Yeah. And, yeah, and, uh, and just the health side of it dinged up and all that. The, the health side of it is just so crazy. These guys week in and week out are on these bikes. And it's like, you never know if guy gets dinged up at, a, at the test track, you know, like leading up to it. So leading up to any week. What about, what about, because another guy you mentioned, you've talked about Anderson a little bit. And we'll get to him in a minute, jumping to Cowie. But I put a lot of stock in Chase Sexton. Like he's kind of a guy that. He's another one of those guys that seems like he rides with a bit of a chip on his shoulder. I don't know any of these guys. I just watch telecasts. But he's another one that seems to me like um, he has the raw speed that if he does figure out that mental side of like, all right, Cooper Webb's behind me now. I got plus two. I got to hold on for five minutes, whatever it is. If he gets that sorted out, he'll be a guy that I think can kind of surpass Roxon a little bit. Because I think that even though Ken's amazing, you get set in your ways as you get older. It gets harder as you get older. Sexton could be a kid that could maybe surpass that a little bit, maybe be the future of Honda. But that's kind of the kid he seems like to me right now. Yeah, what I get on the Sexton side is it's his peers. It's the other riders, and they're studying it more closely than anyone, right? They're the ones that I get all this Sexton hype from. Everybody's going into the truck after practice at a Supercross and watching the Ghost software or uh, the Lipro data. Um, it used to be one specific company. What the heck was that? It was like thousands of dollars. You guys had it at your races, I'm sure, too. Now people have figured out a way to do it with their phones, where you have you inlay tape of yourself and another rider at the same time on the track and see where oh, they're going. Oh, yes, yep. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, so they all see that every weekend, and they recognize, oh, man, Sexton hopped over this bump. I don't even know if I, A, had ever thought of that, and I don't even know if I could do that. So that's where the Sexton hype comes from. At this point, there's so much that I'm actually having some fans kind of come back and be like, why are you guys hyping up Sexton? It's not like, and it's true. A couple of years ago, Sexton, most people probably hadn't heard of. He was okay, but it wasn't like he was considered the next big yeah. thing coming. It's from the riders themselves. They watch him ride. They study this data after every practice session. And they're like, man, he just did something that I've either never seen before or I can't do myself. So that's where that Sexton hype is coming from. The peers are like, man, he knows how to ride a motorcycle. The best possible way. Yeah. So if he puts it all together, he could definitely be a consistent weapon out there. That's interesting. Now, for me, Jason, um, let's go ahead and shift gears from the top guys. Even though, actually, before we do that, let's talk about Malcolm Stewart and and his ride. And what you think that Stewart could do if he can get good starts this year. I mean, do you think that Stewart is a consistent podium finisher because I like the guy and I think that he's going to be one of my one of my favorites to pick 
this season because generally in the Pulp MX fantasy pool, he seems to be a bit underrated at times, and you can get some good points if he gets a good result. So what do you think about him? Yeah, I like that you mentioned the starts thing with Malcolm. So he's gotten better and better as years go by. He's always been super fast. He's James Stewart's brother, and much like James, he's unbelievably fast in certain sections, especially the whoops. It's just unbelievable. There are highlights of him passing guys like, uh, you know, it's 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 someone taking a kick return and running at 90 yards. You know, they run through the entire defense. We've seen him pass two or three guys in one section of whoops. So you're kind of waiting for that to turn into a race win, or I think he only has one podium uh, at the end of the night. So here's the key. You mentioned the starts. Yeah, starts have never been that good. A lot of starts, obviously, is just reaction time and science, your bike, technology, all that. But I do think there is a small percentage that is, I am willing to get the lead, and I believe that I'm not going to get embarrassed when that happens. I know I'm good enough that if I get that start, I'm not going to get passed. I'm not going to go from first to fifth. If you finish fifth at the end of the night and you started 10th, you look like a hero, right? If you hole shot and you finish fifth, yeah. honestly, these dudes feel like losers. I wonder, does he have that last yeah. piece of confidence to go to the gate and say, I am going to get this start because I know I can beat all these guys. That's the last piece. Because I feel like Malcolm is such a fun-loving guy. I don't know if he had that in him yet, but now he's working with Eldon Baker, the famous trainer. A lot of people say when you work that hard, it almost flushes all the negative thoughts out it like gives you this invincible confidence so that's the whole key there greg i think all the pieces are there he just has to believe when he goes to the line i can beat all these dudes and because of that i'm going to get a start the amount of times that we've seen starts come down to somebody's mental situation it's amazing you would think it's all science and reaction time and horsepower and traction but a lot of it's just do you want that whole shot or not so i think we're going to find out real soon if you see malcolm suddenly top three every gate drop Everything else is already there. Yeah. And, you know, and he's a guy that jumped, shipped, you know, he's on the Husky, I think, now with Rockstar. And when you talk about that team, they lost a guy that I think a lot of us thought that Jason Anderson would probably be a lifer there for a while because he was, he put them on the map. He won a Supercross championship with them, albeit through consistency. The guy obviously has tremendous speed. But I got to think that going into this season, the guy with the probably the most pressure on himself. When you take over from a, a team like Kawasaki where Tomac was dominant and won championships, I think Jason's probably going to have a little bit of a refocus, probably more committed this year than ever. And again, wondering what you're hearing from that side of things as far as Jason Anderson now racing for the factory Kawasaki team. Is it a, is it a better move for him? They're really happy. I, Anderson has this rep off the track. of he, he really plays it carefully, his branding, his media of – I'm just here to have fun. I don't really care. We're just having a good time at the races. Everyone knows that a lot of that is smoke and mirrors. He trains, he rides, he tries really hard. But I think even Cowie was a little bit convinced by that. They seem pleasantly surprised. And by that, I mean, I think they thought, okay, we know he works hard, but how hard? How serious is he really about his racing? Now that they see him behind the scenes, they've been pleasantly surprised. Oh, he really does take the sport seriously. He studies, he listens, he has suggestions. The goofball Jason Anderson, the fancy. Nope. He is an intelligent racer. And I've heard riders tell me, Adam Cincerulo once said, he's like, dude, he would ask them to overwater the track, to make it crappy, to make it rutted because he wanted to practice in the worst conditions. He didn't want anyone to know that. He wanted to make it seem like he just showed up late yeah. and left early. So Cowie has been uh, pleasantly surprised and he's flying at the test track. 
He's supposedly going faster than Sin Cerullo, who is about as fast as fast can be. So if you're faster than Sin Cerullo, you're going good. The only thing, just like Malcolm Stewart, I still worry. Winning this title, leading the points, there's so much pressure, there's so much scrutiny. That mental side you mentioned, Pridmore, man, you really got to be something special to be willing to deal with that. I honestly think, because Anderson won this title once, he saw what that feels like. And part of me wonders if he's like, I don't know if I want to deal with that again. Yeah. Just to put it in your perspective for the road racing side, like, can you imagine what the year probably felt like for Fabio Quattararo, right? Or or Top Rack to try to pull it off for the first time? For some guys, they're built that way and they'll win three or four more. But for others, it's got to be like, dude, that was hard, man. (laughs) But I think that when he won the championship, uh, and tell me if I'm wrong, Jay, but it wasn't like he was always the fastest guy. When you look at Guys like Webb and some of those, they're used to being the guy. And then, but to your point exactly, when you're like the third or fourth or fifth fastest guy at the track and you get the whole shot, and it goes right back to your point about Malcolm, now the spotlight's on you, you're leading the race. It's a whole different type of pressure because you know these guys are coming. And I think that he managed that pretty well. Um, But now he's got the pressure of coming from a team that really knows what winning championships is all about. Like he's he's kind of he's he's put himself in a position now where he took the spot of a, a big shoes to fill with Tomac. So it'll be a different type of pressure because now that team is expecting him to have that mentality of being the best that you could possibly be. And I think that they'll help him with that as well from experience from inside the team as well. Yeah, you're totally right. So all the pieces during the offseason, he's a great rider. He works harder than everyone thinks. They're a great team. Of course, he's flying at the test track. But will it actually lead to that killer instinct of, I'm going to beat these guys. I'm going to hold shot. I'm going to embarrass people. I want to be the best guy. I want that spotlight. I want that pressure. You can't gauge any of that until the season begins. And honestly, the biggest breakdown between the guy that's flying in the offseason and it not happening in the races is pressure. That's it. And there's no way to measure it until the lights are on. And there are some salty guys out there that thrive in that environment. That is why Justin Barsha wins the opener every year. The guy just loves pressure. The opening round of any series is so nerve-wracking that I think most guys are not riding like themselves. doesn't bother him one bit. So Will, Anderson, Malcolm, those guys actually thrive when they get back into that environment. That's uh, That's why they run the races, I guess. Yeah, there's, there's a mental distinction between getting a whole shot and thinking, sweet, now I've got clear track in front of me, I can do anything I want, or getting the whole shot and going, crap, I got, I got 20 behind minutes. me, <laughs> I've got web behind me, I've got 20 minutes to do this, and there's a huge distinction. All right, Jason, let's shift gears a little bit, because I want to talk about PulpMXFantasy.com, and of course, there is a league, Greg's Garage Pod, so for those of you out there listening, please join, it's going to be fun, you're going to win uh, a VX. Pro 4 motocross helmet from Arai, whoever wins the pool. But, Jay, what's really important with the Pulp MX Fantasy, Fantasy, like I'm from Chicago, is those riders that are in the back of the field that are, like, got the 16 handicap on them. So I know that oftentimes as commentators, we look at the sharp end because those are the people we're going to talk about the most. Have you had a chance in your brain, before obviously qualifying and all that stuff, to, to... 
take someone like uh, like a Tevin Tapia used to be, for instance, somebody who was fast enough to make it, but never had anything probably under like a 10 handicap so they can score you a bunch of points. Is there anybody from a fantasy perspective that you look at in the 450 class and you think to yourself, yeah, I think that, you know, this rider is going to be kind of, you know, a Cade Clayson, I think is how you pronounce it or whatever, or an Alex Ray or someone like that. Is there somebody that you have in mind for a fantasy tip? It's so hard at the first race of the year because that's when you have conceivably the healthiest group of top riders, right? And yeah, for anyone playing that Pulp Fantasy, it's really won and lost on those guys who barely can make the main. If they make the main, they have such a high handicap, you're guaranteed a massive amount of points, but they might not make the main, and then you get zero points. That's really where the race is won and lost. If you put Cooper (laughs) Webb in your team, the swing is going to be... At best, a win, and at worst, a fourth. It's really not feast or famine. It's just mediocrity. So the race is, the series is really won and lost in fantasy with those main event guys. But it is so hard at the opener. Here's what happens all the time. Everyone says, well, this guy should be a top 10 guy. But then you go and you look at the entry list. There are 15 guys who should be in the top 10. There are 10 that should be in the top five. There are more than 20 that should be in the main. So you put a guy in the team and you're like, well, of course he'll make the main. I always say this, you have to look at everyone else. You can't say someone's a top 10 guy until you truly say, oh, I can only find nine guys that should beat him. Because I bet you to start to look, you'll be like, wait, there are 14 guys that should beat him. So there's 22 guys that make the main. You'll look at someone like a Cade Clayson who made most of the mains last year. But we might look at the entry list for Anaheim Anaheim 1 and say, wait, there's 20 factory riders only two privateers are even going to make it. Is he one of the two best privateers? So that's that's what I always say. Don't look at the guy in a vacuum. You have to look at who's around him, especially at the opener. Because you're going to lose some factory guys as the year goes on with injury. But at round one, they're generally all there. So there's usually only literally one rando guy that makes the main at the opener. One. That's usually the tradition. The Tevin Tapia, as you mentioned. Yeah. Yeah, because it's so stacked at the beginning of the year and everybody's healthy. I mean, yeah, that's that's exactly right. So, judging by like what you said about Barsha, real quick, do you see a wild card guy coming from nowhere and winning Anaheim one? Is it something that you is it something that you can see happening? Uh, normally, I would say absolutely. The I just looked this up. The last time the defending champ won the opener was Brian Villapoto in two thousand and twelve. So it's been almost ten years. Since the defending wow. champ has even won the opener, the opener is always weird. It's always wild. But I've heard a little inside here that everyone knows that Cooper Webb kind of operates best when he's doubted, when his back's put against the wall, when they get a little chip on his shoulder. So his mechanic, Carlos, has been kind of lighting the fire, saying, Hey, man, what's wrong with you? You're always terrible at the beginning of the year. You always start slow. They are giving him those little jabs, the KTM team. To try to make Cooper want to prove them wrong. Oh, what? You, oh, you don't think I can win the opener? Watch this. So I'm a little scared. Yeah. yeah. I'm a little scared that Webb will want to prove everyone wrong. Look, if the defending champ, who's been pretty dominant, wins the opener, it tends to take some of the air out of the series. It doesn't really guarantee that he's going to win the title, but we'll feel that way for a few days. I'm a little worried about that prospect because uh, the crazy opener is like a tradition and it's so exciting. I hope it stays alive, but there's a... I'll give it like a, a 30% chance that Webb just reigns in the parade. But I'm going to hope it doesn't because it's really exciting when a surprise yeah, winner like Barsha happens. 
You know, having Chad Reed on this on this podcast many times, you know, Chad really talked to you beat at home about how you win a Supercross championship, which is be careful at the beginning of the season. And it, it's almost like through no fault of Webb himself, he's kind of figured that formula out where he has been a slow starter, but he's been, for the most part, safe. And that's the, the risk that if Webb's got that fire and he's going to outprove him wrong and he takes a risk and he gets hurt in race number one, oof, that's going to be... so. Team-wise, that's got to be a balance and something that they need to think about because Webb has proven that even if he's, you know, a couple handfuls of points behind in the championship, he tends to finish so strong that he can reel it back in and win it. So, no, it's going to be interesting to see this this whole deal. Now, Jason, I'm curious from your perspective, uh, Wygant, do you participate in Pulp MX Fantasy during the course of the year? Because I know that you're deeply involved in Supercross, but you're not directly on the podcast or the uh, the broadcast team with Supercross. So do you participate? Yeah, I do. And uh, the question always comes down to this. Do I participate in the Free League, which you guys know me well enough to know that's my preference. Uh, but we do have yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we do have a group that we call the Industry Idiots, where it's $100 in, and that leads to a pretty pretty big pot and a good amount of money handed out weekly, and at the end of the year, I don't know if that's legal or not, but that's what we do. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> I, I got to put in my hundred bucks, and I have not won money one time. They give out money every week. I have not ever made any money at all. Um, and what I've noticed is when you have these weekly, sometimes things, when there's a huge difference close trying to, it, though, to win Jay, it's weekly. Hard. Though, Jay, it's hard. It, it is because of those that borderline main event thing. If you want to have fun on Saturday night, folks. Play Pulp Fantasy and pick someone like Alex yeah. Ray and ride that roller coaster. It is going to be – you don't need Red Bull or Monster <laughs> yeah. or Rockstar. It will be all the nerves, the adrenaline you need riding that train of this dude who rides really sketchy, as he says himself, in sixth place. And your whole weekend comes down to can he pass two guys and not crash. There is nothing like that thrill. That is a roller coaster ride. So – that's what it comes down to. I, in, I'm in the LCQ, though. Not even in the main. Oh, it's the in LCQ. the LCQ, you are just losing your new. You guys yeah. experience this every week, right? That LCQ is, that's where the action is in this fantasy deal. It's it's heart-stopping. So, yes. Is the seven-deuce-deuce deuce deuce fast? That's what I need to know. Yeah. If he is makes the, the seven-deuce-deuce deuce 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 fast? Because that's, that's the guy that's my. That's the guy that's my. Yes, yeah, that's what he did. It, that's what he does. That's good. And you know, yeah. when you talk about deuce, gambling, deuce Jay, back, I'm not much of a gambler. Greg's more of the gambler, oh, and the, uh, you know, he's more of the gambler. Yeah, I, you know, I don't like gambling, but yeah, you should see Chuck Walla on a Saturday night. That's all I can tell you because we're usually out at Chuck Walla, and for two week two two Saturdays a month, we're at Chuck Walla, and everybody's got Pulp Fantasy going. And so there's a lot of screaming coming from the garages and the cabins. Like, and like legitimately, all this stuff. We, yeah. the guy who owns the track has bought enough seats just because of Supercross. So many people pile into his garage yeah. and watch his TV. So he's got a huge couch and he's got all these individual chairs that he had to buy just because of that one, just because Saturday nights. We got so TV. Oh, that's awesome. So we'll have you, yeah, we'll get UFC going on one and we got Supercross going on another, but. Uh, and I love the way, you know, you and Mathis and JT break down every week. You know, I listen to you guys pretty religiously, um, how you guys break down each Supercross. And, of course, fantasy always comes up in that. So it's always fun listening to the banter between the three of you guys. So looking forward to another great Supercross here. Yeah, thanks. And th that was the idea uh, with that Pulp thing. It might seem odd to have a fantasy league that really doesn't come down to the Superstars. 
But we felt that the sport's pretty top-heavy, where, again, not many guys even end up winning races. The story is very similar week in and week out. We felt like having a fantasy league that's engineered this way, it forces you to pay attention to those other riders who are good athletes. They're really fun personalities. It forces you to study them, get to know them. And what I found from a journalist perspective, we can only interview Ken Roxon so many times and we interview some other guy that you don't care about. Right. Well, we're trying to give you a reason to care about them. So now for sure, people are studying these guys social. Are they dinged up going into the weekend? Looking at their lap times, riders that you normally wouldn't even pay any attention to. That's kind of why we did it that way. There's the Rocky Mountain Fantasy League that has like a top five thing. And I did I see you guys have a part and <laughs> participated in that too with some celebrities. Uh, that's more the top. Oh, yeah. Who's going to be the top five? Probably. And there's a place for that too. Yep. Wait, 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 hold on, Pridmore. What do you mean probably? No, no. The the, the deal is is that we're in. So so oh, we for are? our Patreon okay, we're supporters. In, I'm in. Yeah. No, for our Patreon supporters and and a couple other people that we're going to have in there, celebrity types. Uh, Weed, you're welcome to join if you want. Uh, that Rocky Mountain ATV MCV whatever league you call it. Um, we Johnny Ray has agreed. Jonathan Ray, of course, multi-time world superbike champ who just finished second in the championship this year. He's already signed up. He's going to pick his team. So all of our Patreon supporters, if you go there to Patreon slash Greg's Garage TV, if you just, you know, whatever, spend a little bit of money, you can participate too. There's a password for the league. But if you win it this year, you're going to get a hand-delivered by Jason Pridmore to Europe oh, wow. hat. Camo hat, a rye right. camo hat that Jason Pridmore is going to hand deliver to Johnny Ray. Johnny will sign it to you specifically, and then you're going to win that hat. And uh, and of course, if you participate in the public league, the pulpmxfantasy.com uh, slash league slash Grace Garage podcast, uh, you can win an awry helmet. And Pridmore, I think, said that he might come up with a couple other. Got to little... come up with a couple other little things. Mm hmm. Yeah. So I heard one of them might be a, a full. Uh, Jordan team suit. You're going to give away oh, one of your yeah. old team suits? I don't even have wow. any of those. I'm playing now. No, I, well, I tell a lie. One of them's hanging up at the Barber Museum. Yeah, yeah, I know, right? Yeah. yeah, why not? No, he's not giving away anything. He's going to give away his golf clubs. You know? Yeah, that's probably be a smart thing. Mm-hmm. So, I'm going to give you so, guys. Anyway, I don't want to be... So definitely participate in that. I don't want to be wishy-washy. I, I mean, don't want to be wishy-washy. Weege, here's the thing. Here's the thing. The thing is, <clears> for guys like... Yeah, no, for guys like Ray, who he, you know, Jonathan Ray, he, he doesn't have the time to stay on top of it every week. Plus, he's also in England, so the time change and all that kind of stuff. He can't do what we do, which is, you know, go to AMA Pro Live and then look up the, you know, the, the practice results and have to pick your team before the evening program starts. So he said, can we do a league where you can pick a team and if I miss a week, two, five, or 18, I've got my team selected and I could possibly win. So that's why we're kind of doing both. And that's why we're doing it for the, for the Patreon uh, team. But Jason, why Gant? Let's talk a little bit more as we, as we head off into 2022. There are some things that are changing for you on the broadcast side. Are there not? Because obviously what people don't realize is NBCSN has now no longer exists. So the sport network no longer exists. A lot of motorsports properties are getting spread across a variety of distribution channels, whether it's on the Fox side of things or whether it's on digital streaming, all that kind of stuff. So last year, obviously, NBCSN and Mav TV, Pro Motocross, play-by-play announcer, American Flat Track as well, the Moto America stuff. So where do we find you? And of course, RacerX, RacerXILL, RacerXIllustrated.com. You run that show for the most part. Sorry, Davey Coombs. That's just the way it is. Um, 
Go ahead and tell us what's in store for Jason Wygant in 2022. Uh, uh, I can't exactly tell you 100% for sure. Yeah, NBCSN literally ended, I think, December 31st. Um, I even saw some people tweet, here are the final yeah, moments. Yeah. And it literally was just a commercial for watch the Premier League on USA Network and bye-bye. That, that, I mean, actually, it didn't <laughs> say bye-bye. It just ended. Um, I mean, look, I got one right here. Like, the majority of my work has been with NBCSN. This wasn't a prop that I brought for your show, Greg. It just literally sits on my desk all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, almost every property I announce is on there. So um, it's all up in the air, but I mean, not as bad as that sounds. Uh, there is actually still a chance. I think motocross, the Lucas Oil Pro Motocross Championship still ends up involved with NBC, maybe via Peacock. Uh, they also air motos on Mav TV. So that will probably continue. They don't have it all ironed out yet, but I'm pretty sure I'll be gainfully employed with that series when it starts in May. Uh, American Flat Track has announced they're going to Fox Sports. I would love to stick around with them, uh, but I don't think anybody knows yet. So hopefully I stay on with that series. And the Moto America folks did reach out to me uh, about coming back for whatever weekends I was free this year. So I told them what dates those were, but uh, they haven't come back to me on it yet. So who knows? So right now it's in a state of flux. Again, not as bad as that sounds. I know everybody thinks I'm like super insider and I know things five years in advance. Uh, Greg, <laughs> yeah. you've made a living on TV for a long time. That doesn't work that way. No, it certainly does not. No, it, it, it doesn't. But, uh, yeah, we, we tend to be year to year in our, in our, uh, in our profession. And that's probably a good reason why you have your, your main or your backup plan. It just depends on the way you look at it in Racer X Illustrated. So it's, uh, that, that's a key movement where me, I have this podcast with that dummy. So, that's it. you know, You're screwed. You're a little smarter than I am at this point, Weege. Um, but, you know, what are you going to do? I, I made my bed. I'm, I'm lying in it, unfortunately. And it's next to that dope. So what are you going to do? Hey, wait could be worse, G-Dub. Could be worse. Yeah, it definitely could be worse. Well, um, anything else that you want to talk about, Weege, that we didn't cover as we, you know, head towards the end of this podcast? Look, I don't want to be this weird guy who came on here and gave a bunch of advice and then didn't really say anything specific. I hate when the riders do that. So I'm not going to be that guy. So yeah. we're saying, like, let's pick a rando wild card to make the main at Anaheim in the 450 class and get you a lot of fantasy points. I certainly cannot guarantee this. Again, I've never won a dollar playing fantasy. But the name that jumps out to me, I'm looking at the entry list. It just came out this morning. I'm going to go with Kevin Morans, number 57. He is an unbelievable starter. And sometimes as a privateer, that's the difference between whole shot in the LCQ and hanging on to finish in the top four and making the main. Again, there's probably only going to be one to three privateers who make the main. I'm going to say Moran's is going to be one of them who'll get you those bubble points, which uh, is how the game is won and lost. Ride that roller coaster, everybody. Let's do it. I can hardly wait. Thanks, Jay, for coming on. As usual, I know you're, we, we both know you're a really, really busy guy, and uh, it's great having you on. And hopefully, we get to see you at some Moto America races this year. Daytona 200? Are you kidding me? Like this is really happening. This is exciting. It's happening. I know. Yeah. It's, it, how, how Greg and I are the same. From, uh, we're, we're like, man, we, we, we got to get down there. Got to get down there. How big is that from your perspective? I mean, I know it's not the superbike class. It's it's the 600 class, I guess, which Daytona was the the last couple times that it happened uh, with the top riders. How big is that for Motor America? Put it in perspective for me. I want to be there. Bad. Sounds awesome. What's that going to be like? You want to do it, G Dub? Yeah, I'm I mean, look, it's just riddled with tradition. It's it's a unique race in the world. It's a 200-mile solo race with pit stops required. It pulls 
you know, some teams together and they have to work together in a way that's unique once a year in terms of doing those pit stops. And it's, it's Daytona. It's during bike week. So it has potential to draw a lot of fans. Uh, we used to do it with Supercross, which was just amazing because we would go Thursday, Friday, hang out all day and watch Supercross on Saturday, and then we'd run the 200 on Sunday. But I think you guys are, or Supercross is a week before us, but we do have flat track going on that same weekend. And um, on top of racing this brand new Supersport class with new bikes and, and unknown uh, formulas to see what's going to work, uh, we are also bringing Harley Davidson baggers along and it's going to draw a lot of people. So it's a unique race. The prestige is absolutely incredible. Now, Jason, you, you know, even if you win a race at Daytona, which you have done, not the 200, but you win a race at Daytona, it means a lot. But the fact that you can win the 200 and the fact that you go onto the wall of fame inside of, you know, the, the Daytona, the motorsports hall yeah. of fame. Yeah. That whole yeah. thing. It, it's a big deal. It's hard to explain. No, it is, and and you put it best because it's kind of a you know you look at the Isle of Man. It's a one type of kind of race. The Isle of Man is a there's nothing else like it. There's really nothing else like the Daytona 200. You're running it in an iconic venue where, like you say, riddled in tradition of the kind of people who have won there. The kind of the names of people from from the NASCAR and Supercross to the to the the Rolex 24 Hour. I mean the the amount of people that have been inside there and raced. It's a huge venue for, for for the nostalgia side of it. So the fact that Moto America has taken it back a little bit in the sense that I think that we're going to start to... What I'm really interested in seeing is really when the entry list comes out. Who is actually going to be coming there to ride? Like My brain goes into different spots where we know that the Moto America Super Sport Championship next year is going to be different than it's been. There's a big movement in changing of the rules the teams that we have participating in our championship that are going to be eligible to go down there and ride. I mean, it's, it's crazy to think, but the guys at the Dakar Rally right now, if Petrucci comes over, do they have an extra V2 that the guy might do the 200? Is Jake Gagne, I saw a post the other day with R6s from Attack being built with a 32 on the front. Is Gagne going to do the 200? Who's going to come from overseas? You know, what kind of What kind of things are being brokered right now between teams here and maybe some riders in Europe to get them back in. Because when I grew up as a kid, the 200 was a race that people from all over the world came to. And I think that that's what is trying to happen right now with the Daytona 200, with Moto America's involvement. I think that you'll start to see a lot more movement in that. And it'll be fun in March to see who lines up. So there you go. There's yeah. your answer, Weech. Yeah. All right. That's, that's I'm hoping. Well, we appreciate everybody watching. And listening to this podcast, thank you so much to Jason Wygant for being here. Supercross season is upon us. I mean, from the time we're recording this to the time when they're racing is only four days away. So make sure you get involved with our Supercross fantasy. It's always a good time to chat with us on social media. Jason Wygant, where can we find all of your social media links? Because if you keep an eye on what we just talking about and the podcast that he does, Pulp MX, you might get some tips from the people around him because he stinks at it, but the people he talks to are pretty good at it. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Yeah. All my social is uh, my name, which is unfortunately really hard to spell. That's W-E-I-G-A-N-D-T. That's Instagram and uh, Twitter. And um, racerxonline.com. That's the full-time job. We'll have any piece of information you'd ever need on there. And then, yeah, uh, our podcast network. It's actually Steve Mathis. Type in Steve Mathis Show where you get your pods. That's where you'll get our Sunday night race review podcast that we do. As a lot of fantasy talk. They're, they have a separate fantasy podcast you'll get on that feed as well. 
So that's just a couple things. And I even, maybe inspired by Greg White, uh, I've been working on my own YouTube channel. Um, that's why I got a green screen behind me that you guys are looking at right now because I'm figuring out how that works. So same thing, spell my last name, type it in YouTube, got my own channel. What's happening is there's so much info out there. Hey, why not turn the camera on and talk about it for 10 minutes and hit publish? Why not? Yeah. I agree. And we'll, I'll put a link to your YouTube channel, all your social media links, and we'll link the other podcast in there as well. So thanks so much for joining us. Pridmore, as always, you're going to have the last word on the way out the door. Man, what a special day, Weege. Thanks so much. Have a great broadcast Saturday. We're all going to be watching you, and good luck for a great Supercross season. See you guys. <laughs> <laughs>